everyone talks about outbound is dead. And I think some of that's way overstated. It's overblown, but... They say it in caps lock with multiple exclamation marks, by the click way. Click here, click here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not immune to the negative echo chamber, clickbaity. Like, the algorithms reinforce that behavior, unfortunately. You get more views, you get more engagement when you're controversial. So everybody, they put out this polarizing stuff. I don't think it's dead, but I do think channel dynamics are changing. Bring BizDev, bring demand gen, bring everyone together and think about creating experiences and ways to engage your market that are different. It's the only way you can get results that are totally different when that's what you need. This is Revenue Makers, the podcast by Sixth Sense, investigating successful revenue strategies that pushed companies ahead. Saima, happy BDR Appreciation Week. Yay, it's our favorite week of the year. We are here today because we obviously are doing our weekly show, but it's also a special week for Sixth Sense because it is BDR Appreciation Week and we're not just showing love all around for your BDRs, your SDRs or XDRs or whatever you call them. But again, they are the tip of the spear, really important part of B2B sales and marketing. So there's a lot of things going on across LinkedIn through Sixth Sense. So definitely check it out there. But we have a guest today that's just could not be more spot on for the BDR Appreciation Week and all things that we're going on. We have Sam Gong, who is SVP of Marketing at Workspan, but has a really interesting background that we're going to get into and some really interesting topics. Yeah, you know, it's serendipitous because we didn't plan it this way, but not only is Sam a marketing leader, he's been all over the go-to-market team. So he has experience at SAP, at Marketo, at Zora, at Adobe, and he has led the biz dev function for many a year. So we're going to talk about obviously marketing and AI, but we're also going to talk about the BDR org and where it sits and what makes a great BDR and you know what he sees for the future of the role. So it's one of those episodes where we started in one spot and then took three turns and landed somewhere else. But those are sometimes the best conversations. It's definitely a buffet of an episode because we've got BDR career advice. We've got marketers. We've got AI technology implementation. Listen in. You're going to get something out of it no matter what your role is. So slime out. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. So just to dive in, you've got a really interesting career path story that I think the audience would love to hear. I mean, I think it's fascinating and really kind of just shows the power of being somewhere in a revenue team, but where it can take you in, in different roles. Could you talk to the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks, Adam. I would describe it as nonlinear. I think, you know, there's those people <laughs> yeah. that know exactly what they want to be in high school when they talk to their guidance counselor and everything is a step towards an outcome. And I've been a lot more opportunistic and I've always been entrepreneurial and I've always enjoyed the challenges of sales and marketing, right? But like you said, I've been in different parts of the revenue side of things for my whole career. So started as an SC, really had that kind of hunter mentality, went into growth in a B2C role. So very focused on marketing attribution and channel marketing, and then came back and met in the middle in a biz dev function, working for Marketo and Adobe. And from biz dev, I've gone full circle now back to marketing. So definitely some interesting hops along the way. And I, I think the thread that connects them for me is whether you're in sales, whether in marketing or biz dev or even products, the challenge of helping build a company and create something that produces value and then deliver that to the market is always changing and it's always interesting. And I think there's a lot of depth there. And I would encourage other people to spend some time either very close to people in those other functions or take a stint in the seat next to yours. That perspective, I think, has been really helpful for me in my career. 
Yeah, I feel like it brings a certain level of empathy for that entire revenue team, right? Especially if you've been on those teams or you've led those teams. Interestingly enough, this specific episode of Revenue Makers is launching during BDR Appreciation Week, which is a week where we at Sixth Sense and across the industry really are celebrating that biz dev function and the closeness it has to that first line, that front line of talking to customers, getting that value prop out there. And I often feel like I say this to other marketers and team members that if you can get a little bit of experience with sales along the way, it just makes you so much more empathetic to that journey and the needs of the customers. Can you talk specifically about your transition from a biz dev leader into marketing? And I know you did have some experience in marketing before, but how has that changed the way you think about marketing now that you've been on that side? Yeah, great question, Saima. And I think I've always been a marketer, right? And even is biz dev sales, is biz dev marketing, it's the middle child. And being able to speak both languages is something that you develop in that role. So it's a great starting point. Having not started my career there, I came into BizDev with a little bit more of that go-to-market framing. What is the model that BizDev fits into? How do we create pipeline? How do the demand gen resources that we put into the system upstream create the leads that go to the BDRs that hopefully get qualified and turned into sales pipeline? I've always been trying to put those pieces together. And I think if you lead BizDev teams directly and in some ways the tip of the spear with the customer, but in other ways, the end of the bullwhip with marketing, you're really very sensitive to which campaigns are working, which messages are working, which leads respond to you when you reach out to them and really are at a point where it makes sense to have that human investment and that human outreach. And then which leads are the filler leads where if marketing has a target and they need to get X MQLs per month and they've still got that very old waterfall way of thinking about demand gen, you can stuff the funnel with content syndication leads and you call it a lead, but you know that when the BDRs reach out to them, you're not going to have engagement the same way. This space, I think, has changed a lot. We're here on uh, Six Senses podcast, right? I've used Six Sense in my last two roles. I tried to get it three roles ago. And I think it's all becoming a lot grayer. The role of the BDR and what is a qualified lead and when does it make sense to engage? That is a rapidly shifting target. Not just because the intent platforms are getting better, the ABM platforms are getting better, but because I think the channel behaviors are changing and AI is changing and what is a human touch versus what is an automated touch. All of those things are moving. And so I think experience with the biz dev team has been important coming into this age where those things are moving. And I think the role of biz dev leadership is going to be one of the most leveraged roles in this next stage where companies aren't just bringing AI into the hands of people and the roles they have, but we're starting to ask, do we have the right roles? Do we have the handoffs in the right places? And the tools start changing what the jobs are versus just how we do the jobs today. So I think being at that boundary between demand gen and qualified lead and biz dev and human follow-up, that experience is helpful and that stuff's all going to change. And BDR leaders, I think, have one of the most important perspectives in this next wave of what do we do with AI? Yeah, I was at a an event. I guess it was Christmas time, and they had, I was it was focused on AI. And they asked me, like, you know, what do you think of the big AI trends, and what do you also think? Where should people focus? And I actually said, like, you got to nail the basics before you start talking about AI at all, because I think there's always like I want to jump on a tool. So let's go. Wait, AI is cool, but if you haven't figured out the first ten steps and you jump to step fourteen, you're going to have challenges. So you sort of touched on the customer journey a little bit when you're talking about different touch points and all that. And obviously the BDR being the tip of the spear for that. 
And as you're sitting in a marketing seat now, how do you think about building that journey and making it rock solid to create that great progression? Let's talk about like how that first thing gets built. Totally. Yeah. I, I don't think AI is going to give you the answers for how you should address your prospects or what problems they have. I think it's got to start from empathy. If you don't deeply understand your prospects, your market, at the end of the day, the things they wake up worrying about and how you can help them. If you don't have that empathy, then if you're a marketer, if you're a BDR, you aren't able to help them. And at the end of the day, that's what people are looking for. That's what earns you the right to engage and interrupt. And whether it's a marketing channel message or a BDR message, if you don't understand where they are, you can't help them. The other component in there is some expertise. And I know something that you don't know yet. And I work for a company, we've developed this technology. There's a new method. There's a new way of doing things. And so you have to first start with where are they and understand that deeply and then have a point of view that's valuable and helps them shift. That's what sales and marketing ultimately is. So I say empathy and expertise, and then the last E in my little framework here, empathy, expertise is execution. The AI yeah. doesn't come in until the last piece for me. Yeah. Like you can make some stuff go faster. You can save a lot of time with AI, but it's not going to replace empathy and deep understanding of the problem. And then the expertise piece and deeply understanding the point of view that your company has. Yeah. And that's a really important piece because even though we work at technology companies, technology is again, a tool in the arsenal, right? You have to go back to the basics. You have to understand your target market, the problems they're facing, how you're solving for them. You recently took on a new role. Congratulations, head of marketing at Workspan. When you approach a new problem like this or a new role, where do you start? I think I start with persona research. I look for the podcasts that my buyers listen to. I go on LinkedIn and I hit up people from previous companies I've worked at that have the role that we're trying to speak to. And just as much time as you can get face-to-face -face on Zoom calls, understanding the challenges and the world and the pressures that your buyers have, the more context you have for why product features make sense or why some campaigns make sense or some channels are better than others for reaching your audience. So for me, it starts with like, let me find human beings with names, right? Who I can talk to and relate to as a person. And then kind of building up from that actual people level to now there's this conceptual market, right? Now there's this persona. But I think if you start with the product or you start with the features or anywhere above human level understanding, then you're always bringing a different lens to it and kind of fitting the people into the model rather than building the model around people and the empathy that you have for them. I was playing around. I saw this mentioned as an AI use case. And I actually said, oh, hey, let's go see. I'm XYZ at this company and this is my role. What do I care about? This was a chat GPT prop. And I came back with a textbook persona that lacked, I would say, like emotion in that empathy piece that you sort of mentioned earlier. As we're continuing down this AI path, and maybe this is a question towards how do we keep the empathy in? Other than just like, okay, we keep the AI for one step, or do we think AI is going to get more empathetic? What do you think is the best way to continue to capture the human essence while obviously surrounding us with all the automation and all the intelligence that we're going to get out of it? I've seen some of these demos. I've been playing a lot with AI tools in the last year, right? And I think you get boilerplate responses, you get kind of the mean responses, the visuals are really easy to call out, but from a messaging standpoint, I think there's an uncanny valley in the messaging too, where it's like, I feel like a robot is trying to market to me and empathize with me. So one example I'll share from my last company, we were selling to accounting 
And you could ask ChatGPT, what do accountants care about? What are the accounting processes? And one of the members of our team, Max Sun, came back with this post that had found on LinkedIn from the end of the month when all the accountants were going through closing the books. And someone had started a thread just sharing pictures of the energy drinks in the recycling bin. And so <laughs> all the accountants are stuck in the office late in the month doing their close process. And they're on LinkedIn empathizing with each other and being like, I'm four Red Bulls deep. Oh, you're still on Red Bull? I'm six monsters deep. That's the level of human empathy that I think great marketing and insights and campaigns are built off of is, no, really, I understand what it's like to be in your seat and in your shoes. And let's find some common ground and build up from there. And ChatGPT can't do that. Like ChatGPT can help you go faster, but it's not going to help you get to the real insights. And there's a human here, right? There's a human experience. And I deeply understand that. And that's where I'm starting from. We need to feed the GPT's energy drinks is what we need to do. It sounds like. Oh, clearly. <laughs> that's definitely a winning formula. That's going to work out well for all of us. So we've already had an episode about the impact of AI on marketing. I saw this cartoon this week where the CMO is drawn wearing like 12 different hats. And then the CEO is giving them another hat and saying, oh, and by the way, can you also lead the generative AI efforts for the company? And so it's just by default sort of fall on upon marketing to find some initial and neat use cases. We've talked about the downfalls and the traps that you can fall into, but where do you see there being a really great opportunity to harness that power of AI? So I think research, there's information out there and there's a cumbersome process for me to go and get it. The empathy point is starting from, I'm a BDR and I've just got this lead and they've come in from this account, right? Where do I start my engagement with them? Let's pause for a second on whether you want to put AI on sending the message out, but just what do we want to say to them? What do they know today? What are they? What account are they? How are they big? Are they small? Are they pre-IPO, post-IPO? There's a lot that I think goes into good BDR follow-up that we can make faster. And so you can take BDRs that are trained and are experts in their product and send out really good messaging and just have a ton of medial work today. So first opportunity I see without redesigning go-to-market, without drinking the AI Kool-Aid and believing the hype about replacing a bunch of people, which I don't believe yet, is just help the team do their research faster. And so there's some good tools, good demos. I don't know that there's a clear winner in that space yet. That's where I'd start. Yeah. What would you say to the BDR that's sitting out there and maybe their organization has not empowered them to either go experiment or they're doing their job. They keep hearing about AI and this, you know, again, like there's so much clickbait out there, like BDRs are dead, outbound is dead. But then you have the random CEOs, like I have a product that will use AI to build you a house and then do your prospecting and then make your dinner and all that. So what do you say to the BDRs out there that are probably worried? wondering about their jobs, don't necessarily have a mandate or even the flexibility to go like, go sign up and play with a tool. What's coming for them? And like, how do they sort of like, hey, I would imagine get their blood pressure down, but two, like try to advance themselves if there isn't something coming from above. I think everyone has to be responsible for their own career. And the best companies that have a long view that are really well run they will help you a lot in this, but fundamentally your interests as an employee, as somebody who's growing their skill set, you've always got to have your own interests first in a way. The company won't. And so my advice to BDRs, to anybody in digital marketing, to anybody that works in a space that's going to be impacted by AI is if you take a 10-year view on your career, then you have to be hands-on. You have to have your own opinions about these new technologies and you have to play with the stuff yourself. 
because you're right, there is a lot of clickbait on LinkedIn and people will throw these statements out that are clearly not 100% true, but they're also not 100% false. And the stakes are too high to take someone else's word for it or wait for your manager to tell you what the impact is going to be or wait for someone to redesign your role for you. Play with it. Figure out where the boundary is between what can the tech actually do today. And you'll find areas where even just playing with a vanilla chat GPT license, you can save some time in your role. You can be more leveraged in your role. You have to be careful with it. It's different from other computing and other programming where typically you bang on the computer and you try to figure out the commands and you work really hard to get it to give you an output. ChatGPT will give you an output no matter what. It's not going to be right all the time. And I've been burned in a couple of cases where I asked it to do research and it just made stuff up. So you got to be wary of it, but you have to play with it and you have to be looking for how it's going to impact your role and have your own opinion. So number one, actually, I love that response because you do need to control your own destiny and stay ahead of what is out there. How would you go about building a business case to at least start to look into some of this AI stuff? I mean, I work at Sixth Sense. I'm lucky. We were allowed to alpha and beta our conversational email tool before anyone else could. And so it was almost the opposite challenge where we were told, hey, go figure this one out. Again, it's not going to replace the BDR, but it will absolutely supercharge what they're able to do. It'll take repeatable menial tasks off their plate. But how would you go about, if you weren't in that position, building an internal business case to test out and see what you could get? It's a great question. And I think a lot of people in planning, everyone's being asked to do more with less. We're in the profitable, efficient growth era now. And there are applications and the vendors will oversell them. The impacts will be overstated. And back to your 13 hats point, Simon, right? Like who has the time? Who's got the time to go look at 12 different AI demos? So building the business case is challenging. And one thing that I've been wondering is everyone looks at BDRs first. Can we replace the BDRs because there's an obvious cost there? But with Sixth Sense's tool, right? I know some of the applications there are, we mentioned those content syndication leads earlier. BDRs don't want to get a content syndication lead. It's not qualified enough that it's worth having a BDR stop what they're doing within the SLA, prioritize and personalize and respond to that. That content send lead is going to get an automated next step anyway. And so I think there's a huge gap there where you've had one touch point with marketing. You aren't at the point yet where it makes sense for someone to pick up the phone and call you and interrupt your day. But there are some next resources that should be helpful to that prospect and massive window if you started the marketing automation side instead of the BDR side to fill in that buyer journey with something better than what they get today, which is thanks for downloading. Here's a non-dynamic cookie cutter nurture track, drip email track. It's hard to keep those things up to date. I think AI is going to be a lot more useful faster upgrading marketing automation than replacing biz dev. Totally agree. What do you think is the next big practical AI application that's coming for revenue teams generally? I mean, again, like we've been playing more with some of like the image and the video stuff internally here and so forth, but like, what do you think could be next or what would you like to see next? That would be like, oh, that's going to be something that really is going to change the game next. Yeah, I had one of those, um, I don't know if I want to live on this planet anymore moments. Uh, (laughs) Oh no. I had a demo from a very early kind of stealth stage startup that was demoing automated voicemail drops from AI. And the voicemail can get trained down to a rep level, right? So it's going to leave you a voicemail in my voice. And you're going to take the human out of the loop and you've just run an event and you want to do BDR follow-up to the event. And the paradigm today is 
okay, BDRs, everybody stop what you're doing. Let's jump on a call. We got to talk about this event. We got to talk about what who's coming and what the after action is and what is the right way to follow up. And that enablement is a big lift. It's hard to change behaviors and get people to take a new talk track, especially if you're just doing one point in time activation. Do that whole training, hope people adopt it, hope you get 100%. It's hard and we're not there. And even the best teams with their biggest events, this is a big expenditure of calories right. from everybody. And so on the one hand, the marketer in me is like, oh, I could leave people these amazing tailored event-specific voicemails that continue their journey and follow this up. And on the other side, I'm horrified, right? Because yeah. is that better? Do I want to receive that voicemail? Oh like, what does that make? So I don't know where it's going, right? I don't feel qualified to make a big bet on like, this is the next thing that's coming. And this is why my advice is you've got to stay current. It is going to change. And I don't know which direction it's going to change in, but don't rely on someone else to come up with an opinion for you and don't fall for the clickbait. Take the demos, spend some percent of your time just kicking the tires on this stuff because it is going to change stuff and it's hard to predict how. I'm going to move away from the AI conversation now and go back to the humans if we're good with that. <laughs> let's, let's stay on the planet with humans. I like yeah, that. Yeah, let, let's stay on planet Earth <laughs> for a bit. So Sam, it's two questions and I want to know if you have a strong opinion on the first one. How do you feel about the BDR org sitting in marketing versus sales? From a career standpoint, it's been my job at different points in my career. The BDR team's moved. We get moved around a lot to stand up and say, guys, we're in sales. We've always belonged in sales. We're home now. And then a year later, it's my job to stand up and say, guys, we're in marketing. <laughs> We've always belonged here. We're home. Right? So it is, I think, a question that people are trying to figure out. And my personal opinion, having seen it both ways, acknowledging that so much stuff is changing in funnel management and channel activities and so on. I think marketing makes sense to me. If you really want to empathize with your buyers and create that continuous buying experience, there is that line that's moving around a lot between qualified lead and tent signal, right? And, and that first convo with a biz dev rep. If you have that conversation with them marketing, I think you can control that. I think you can manage the costs and the overall efficiency. You don't have this kind of throwing stuff over the fence behavior that sometimes you get if you split it in the BDRs or in sales. Yeah. My personal vote, marketing. I'm with you. And I think that there's, again, just an empathy towards the prospect that you get by taking advantage of all that marketing is creating for the biz dev team. I will say BDRs do live in marketing at six cents. But as they have a career progression path into sales, our BDRs are our absolute best AEs because of, I think, their experience having sat in marketing, having had benefit of really understanding all of what marketing is doing in that sales process, not just to create opportunities, but to progress them and help them along. So I'm with you there. And the second question back to the humans is, you've obviously hired many a BDR in your career what would you say are some of just the best characteristics or what differentiates a really great BDR from the average one? I love that question. I don't know how many BDRs I've hired at this point, hundreds, but it's creativity, it's resourcefulness. And I think you need drive and that, that spurs the creativity. And I know I need to get this many meetings. How am I going to go out there and do that? And then using everything at your disposal. Whatever career you're going to go into, if you're in sales, you have to be entrepreneurial. You have to spend your time well. As a BDR, there'll be process, there'll be SLAs. There's all these frameworks that your job fits into. 
But at the end of the day, it's ultimately you and what you can bring to that role and the best process, the best lead flow dashboard, whatever you have, right? It's only going to get you halfway there. And so I think you've got to look for drive and creativity. Wrap that all up. It's just hustle. Good BDRs hustle. One of the things that I always found ridiculous about BDR hiring, and I've not hired hundreds, but you know, I've had to hire probably a couple dozen, is it ultimately becomes one of, if not the most important sort of role at the beginning, your first, your brand ambassadors, people's first experience with the brand. And in most cases, it's literally the most junior employee or close to the most junior employee with the lowest pay. You know, there's certainly upside and performance and if they're doing really well and how they're spiffed and compensated and so forth. Do you think that there should be, and I've tried this experiment before where we actually went, you know, let's go with somebody that's got four or five years of some kind of sales experience and pay them more. Don't look at the BDR as a entry-level junior role, but look at the BDR more as that mid-level. Like, what do you think about that? Because I think every time I talk to BDRs about this, I'm like, it just, they're so important, but yet they're not structured that way, if you know what I'm saying. I think you're onto something there and it depends on what you're selling. The longer your sales cycle, the more complicated your sales cycle, like creating the pipeline is important. Those first touch points are important, but an enterprise deal that takes nine months to close and you've got to build out the buying committee, there's like a very deep skill set there. And it makes sense that those AEs that can make all of that uncertainty go away and get a deal across the line, like they command a, a high salary for it. It doesn't happen without them. With BizDev, I think if you've got a boiler room atmosphere and you're selling a commodity product and it's like, look, we just need you to make a thousand dials and four people will say yes and you just need to do it every week. You're never going to attract people and people will burn out. They won't stay there for a long time. But I think for some enterprise teams, especially as the technology can do more, if research is automated, if leads are more qualified, if people come in with a lot more of that context, I do think we'll see a shift with longer career paths in biz dev. And you've got to keep the work interesting and prevent it from being repetitive. So I think it lends itself to some enterprise products, maybe more than some SMB products, but as the tech shifts, as the role shifts, yeah. Yeah. I think we will see some of those things change and you will have, I don't know about career BDRs, but longer careers. We're already seeing it, right? Like the downturn in the economy has meant that you can't promise BDRs they'll get promoted to AE in 18 months. Two years ago, that was the way every team hired. And already that's not true. And so I think you have to create depth in the role and keep people productive and happy and challenged. And I think that's going to come full circle and we'll just be like, hey, you know what? This makes sense. We should have a much longer career track in BizDev. This is like such an interesting conversation because I feel we're jumping around everywhere. But Sam, again, just taking your experience in mind here, what would your advice be to somebody early in their career in biz dev or marketing or sales, frankly, around getting a depth of experience across that revenue org? I think now is a great time to work at a startup. Like from an economy standpoint, there's a lot less certainty and it's scary. But from an agility standpoint, if you think about who's going to be ahead on these trends and who is going to know what the go-to-market org of next decade, the next era looks like, it's going to be the startups before it's going to be the enterprises. And so if you're early in your career, that is a huge advantage to have, to know the shape of the go-to-market org 10 years from now and build your career in that direction. There's more risk in it. I think there's also a lot more career upside if you're just starting, taking some of that risk and work for an agile company that's experimenting with go-to-market and not a legacy business. 
Yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, shift again, since it seems to be the shifty episode, <laughs> but as you're planning now, what are some of your key strategies around revenue and go-to-market that you're really focused on right now that are top of mind and things that maybe are even waking you up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat? Hopefully not, but I'm sure there's probably one or two. So big things that I'm looking at in our next year plan, one, it's working with partners and WorkSpan is a, a product that makes it a lot easier to go to market with your partners and sell together. But from a marketing standpoint, we've all got less resources to work with. And if you look at the other companies in your ecosystem, you're going to find that you have a lot of other companies that address the same buyer at a similar point in time, and you can hitch your products together. You can co-solution, you can co-build. And when the incentives are all there and you share an audience, you can do more for less. So if you're looking for a fundamental shift and there's no way I can scale what I was doing last year to this year, partnering and partners working with marketing and partner marketing, right? Like you have to clear up some of the attribution and build a pipeline model where you aren't fighting over who gets credit, but you can get a lot out of unlocking your partner relationships. So that's one of the big things that one as a product, right? We help with, but then as a leader is true, has been true in every marketing team I've worked with. I've never not gotten more back from working with partners that I've put in. So I'd say that's big bet one. And then big bet two is everyone talks about outbound is dead. And I think some of that's way overstated. It's overblown, but... They say it in caps lock with multiple exclamation marks, by the click way. Click here, click here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not immune to the negative echo chamber, clickbaity. Like the algorithms reinforce that behavior, unfortunately. You get more views, you get more engagement when you're controversial. So everybody, they put out this polarizing stuff. I don't think it's dead, but I do think channel dynamics are changing. And I think email, phone call, like when do you engage with people? We've been a very outbound heavy industry, I think, for the last decade. And I think there's going to be a shift back to really creative marketing. And that doesn't just mean the marketer's jobs are interesting. I think it means the biz dev team, as a part of marketing especially, has a role to play. And how do you run a really engaging event that's not just another webinar? How do you create an experience that's multiple touch points, that's people, that's digital, that creates that perception of your company where people want to work with you and want to come to you? I'd say that's the other one. So look to your partners to do stuff you haven't been doing before and then just shake things up. Bring BizDev, bring DemandGen, bring everyone together and think about creating experiences and ways to engage your market that are different. It's the only way you can get results that are totally different when that's what you need. Yeah, love it. Sam, this has been so great. Thank you for the time. We ask one question of everyone, and it's a silly one, but what's the most ridiculous thing you've been asked to do on the job? Good or bad. So if you take the entire career and you look at all of it, at my B2C startup, you know, when we had a team of three marketers, one of the things we tried to do to punch above our weight was stage a protest at Red Bull's Flugtag. And so I conscripted all my friends. We made t-shirts and signs. And I dressed up in this ridiculous costume and went and tried to go viral. That's the most ridiculous thing I've tried to do professionally. And viral, did you go? Yeah. How viral did you go? We did not go viral, but we had a great time. <laughs> it was one of those things that I don't regret a lot. I love it. It's like that joke, right? Like the objective of the marketing campaign is go viral. And it's like, no, right? that's not how it works. Go viral. That's the strategy. <laughs> yeah. Well, love it. Love the hustle. I feel like we're back to where we began, right? That the best BDRs, the best kind of team members on the revenue team are the ones with the hustle. So good for you. There's got to be video of it somewhere, I'm sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, Google flute dog. You don't need to go looking for the video. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. Really great conversation. I think obviously with BDR appreciation we going on, we weaved all sorts of different things. Great advice for BDRs. Great advice for bringing AI. Just great advice all around. So really appreciate it. Really great. Adam, Saima, awesome. Thank you guys so much. Really enjoyed talking with you guys. And in the spirit of BDR Appreciation Week, everyone show some love to your BDRs and especially the BDR managers. I think they've got especially a hard role. Saima, you talked about career progression and who else has a job where you voluntarily give up your best talent every year, right? <laughs> so don't forget your BDR managers this BDR Appreciation Week. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Revenue Makers. Do you have a revenue project you were asked to execute that had wild success? Share your story with us at sixcents.com slash revenue. We might just ask you to come on the show. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, be sure to follow along on your favorite podcast app.